to Don't You Want Me, a podcast series taking a light-hearted look at the most relatable, intriguing and dysfunctional relationships in film. I'm Kat. And I'm Rich. Hey, your worship, I'm only trying to help. Would you please stop calling me that? Sure, Leia. You make it so difficult sometimes. I do, I really do. You could be a little nicer, though. Come on, admit it, sometimes you think I'm all right. Occasionally, maybe, when you aren't acting like a scoundrel. Scoundrel? Scoundrel? I like the sound of that. In this episode, we're bolting across the galaxy with 1980s little-known art house obscurity The Empire Strikes Back, Directed by Irvin Kirshner with a screenplay by Lee Brackett and Lawrence Kasdan based on a story by George Lucas, this film is arguably the most beloved space fantasy ever cooked up. Given the amount of dedicated Star Wars fans out there, we're a little daunted to tackle the relationships in this one, but this rebel alliance will rise to the challenge with the help of a very special guest. Joining us tonight, lightsaber in hand, is the mighty Marty McKillop of the brilliant Thunderballs radio show, co-producer of the James Bond Picture Archive. Welcome, Marty. Hello, how are you doing? I should know. I should say, hello there. <laughs> may the force be with you. And may the force be with you. Marty, thank you very much for joining us. As a slight departure from what you were previously known for and what we've previously discussed on, on other podcasts and radio shows. So, um, yeah, what, uh, what are your thoughts on the relationships in this film? And, and I've just got to put it out there. We, we are mainly, mainly looking at the relationship between Princess Leia and Han Solo, but um, mm. not, not exclusively. And uh, yeah, so what, what is it about this film and this, this pairing that really appeals to you? Well, the dialogue in particular in The Empire Strikes Back is so sharp and the characterizations are just brilliant. So it starts off from one place and it's, a, it's really showing their arc as a, as a couple, as a sort of new couple. Well, they're not really that new a couple. They kind of made their feelings known to each other about three years ago, but they've obviously been fighting a war, so they've been a bit busy to involve themselves with feelings. But um, <laughs> it's just a very... Fu- I think it's a very funny film. I think Carrie Fisher is hilarious. Harrison Ford is just kind of in the middle of his kind of peak period, you could argue. But yeah, it's a fantastic relationship, which it just never gets old, as far as I'm concerned. But it's really a... As, yeah, as much as that is one of the central relationships in the film, it's, it's a film that's all about relationships. Um, and I think that's something that Star Wars is... It's one of the things that I love about Star Wars is that it's all about kind of inter- interconnected friendships and family relationships. And that's what makes it special and makes you go back and watch it again because it's got that real heart. You know, I mean, it's got a real sort of resonance with feelings and love and friendship and all those good things. What's your relationship to the film, Marty? How did you originally see it? Um, I originally saw it, well, I remember seeing this in a cinema, and it was a cinema called the La Scala in Inverness. My parents took me to it. But I don't remember watching the whole film, I just remember the start of it in Hoth, because I was only four at the time. I remember watching it, and then just sort of crawling about on the floor with a car, I think. But I didn't really remember it that well. But it was only kind of like a, a year, maybe a two later, maybe a year and a half later. I'd moved to Sheffield by this point, and I, I was walking down the street with my mum, and I found an action figure in the gutter, essentially. Just found this figure in the gutter, and I pulled it out. It was Han Solo in the Hoth gear figure from The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, I had that one. And it then became <laughs> the first ever piece of movie merchandise that I ever had or owned, and that started a. That was the kind of start of the obsession at that point because I wanted to know what it was from and I was told it was from Star Wars from Empire Strikes Back and then the next film in 83 came out and I was seven in 83 so that was just peak period for me to enjoy Star Wars. Yeah, became obsessed, got all the figures, all the toys, everything else and never looked back really. We've not really covered many films so far where there's been such a big merchandising thing. I don't remember seeing a, uh, a Sleepless in Seattle Sort of merchandise range or or anything like that but um but as you say when, when you look at this and 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 the film itself seems to appeal to a 
people people of all ages really i mean I, again similar to yourself you know being being young when i first saw this and and you know you you think of the robots and the spaceships and the guns and all that and then as we come to it a bit later on and obviously with our relationship podcast hat on and we're sitting here talking about the relationship between two of the characters and i know that um when when we were talking about doing this episode you know that this film kind of sits in the middle of nine and that the relationship between han and leia you know we've already seen the start of it in the previous film and it goes on to other things and informs a large part of the the other films but in this one this is where the two of them really spend a lot of time alone together talking and there's there's kind of aggressive flirting there's a lot of times where they both need rescuing they're both in distress and they're both relying on each other and I think that one of the big kind of appeals to it like you said is is the dialogue between them because I think some of Star Wars dialogue throughout the films has been labeled as quite corny and really badly written and rightly so but the 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 relationship and the words and the way that they're delivered between Hannah Leia and the, the quote that we used at the beginning where she sort of refers to him as a scoundrel it's just mm. such an oldie world callback kind of thing scoundrel that even now sort of 43 years later it still kind of hits you as kind of go scoundrel yeah i like the sound of that well yeah <laughs> even han likes the sound of it he gets called that and he's like oh i've not been here i've not heard the that term being used for a while i like the sound of that it's it's interesting it feels from quite a different era this one because han even though he spends so much of the film doing good things and you know saving luke and this that the other he quite likes the idea of being you know known as a bit of a dangerous bad guy and people aren't quite like that i think now are they i think we're all quite consumed with being seen as the good guy in any given situation so um it's quite interesting to visit a film where yeah the the romantic lead it's a little bit like um it happened one night in some of those old screwball comedies where so much is made of the kind of friction between the man and the woman at the centre of it and um, the two of them are kind of playing up to that idea of being enemies when there's something else running underneath. I mean, it's quite delicious, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think, well, I think in the, the previous film, she, one of the central things that she says to Han is that she just thinks he's a mercenary and that he's just doing it all for the money. And by the end of it, she's saying, I knew there was more to you than money because he, he, shows his, he shows his hand shows that he's part of the cause and that he's uh, thinking more about him than himself and thinking about the bigger picture a little bit. So there's a time, yeah. the, the time difference between that happening in Empire is three years. So you get, he's become a general in the, uh, well, is, is he a general? I think he's a captain in this one. Captain maybe, yeah. So he's, but he's obviously stuck around, doesn't he? He's stuck around for three mm. years. He's done his bit. He's proven himself. Um, and at the start of this, he's going out just selflessly into the cold to rescue his friend, just being selfless and just doing his bit. So he probably does feel a wee bit kind of put out the fact that the princess is still not admitting her feelings towards him <laughs> because she's got bigger fish to fry. She's still trying to fight a war um, and has a lot of things on her, on her plate. And she's like, Han, I just don't have time for this. I'm sorry, but I am going <laughs> to run a rebel alliance here, you know? And he's like, well, come on, love. You know what I mean? I've, I've done a bit for three years. Just tell me, what you, tell me what you think about me and we can move on. And she's like, nah. And he's like, ah, well, sorry then. But then when she does, when she does tell him how she feels, she calls him a half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder. And the oh. only thing he takes offence at is being called scruffy-looking. You know, it's not the half-witted thing or anything else. It's the fact that I'm scruffy. Who's scruffy looking? You know, that that's what he takes offence to because, you know, in, in yeah. his in his brain, you know, he's the ultimate, you know, fly boy. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, again, she already said to him before that, was, I, was, I don't know where you get your delusions from, laser brain. You know, that kind of stuff. There, there is a lot, a lot of poking each other before they get to the end of the film. She's there. And, and you know, Princess Leia is always cited as, you know, one of the you know, those strong female role models in, in 80s movies. So you've got like her, Sarah Connor, Ripley from Alien and things like that, where her 
mind is on the big picture like you say the war you know she's got a leading part in this rebellion the rebel alliance against the empire and han solo yes he's done his bit he's flown he saved the day in the first one and got his medal but um the end of the day he's a red-blooded male and it's harrison ford in 1980 so she's done (laughs) she's done well to resist him because i'd struggle (laughs) han we need you we need Or what about you? I know. I don't know what you're talking about. Probably don't. And what precisely am I supposed to know? Come on. You want me to stay because of the way you feel about me? Yes. They were very playful from the very start, weren't they? But I mean, yeah. I think if if someone is not interested, they won't give you that kind of comeback in terms of what they say to you. They'll be a bit more kind of ah, oh, well, I'm not going to waste my breath, you know. But yeah, I'm more <laughs> she, ambivalent. You know, yeah, yeah. There's sort of I think she um, she kind of shows her hand by being so aggressive. I think in the order the films came out. Luke and Han are almost like love rivals. I think there's some bits in the first one where they're kind of like, oh, well, I'm interested. Ooh, a bit of stag stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, if you've watched them in the order that they time happens, then you know they're brother and sister. And then after you've watched the next film where they know about it, and I think she even says, I think I always knew, which makes yeah. it even weirder. But um, yeah. But yeah, there there was, especially in the first film, there was a bit of, oh, I quite like her. Oh, do you? That kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And then when she kisses him and he has that look on his face of very much the, the cat that got the cream. <laughs> it's another funny moment, though, isn't it? It is. I, I agree. It's a very funny film, this. It's very funny, yeah. There was a, I was, yeah. There was a scene, actually, that was, there was a deleted scene. I don't know if you've come across this before, but it's the moment when um, he's having that kind of... Um, going to head to head with her in the corridor about her feelings and she's like trying to pretend that she doesn't have any for him but there's like a deleted scene where Han says uh, to her he says uh, you've been so busy being a princess that you haven't learned how to be a woman I could have helped you out I think it just goes to show that the charm of Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford in this one and as you say, Marty, the fact that the viewer never really believes that she seriously wants him to back off. That there's always something that makes you feel that she does want him to come closer to her. That doesn't mean that you're thinking, oh, maybe he should stop, you know, <laughs> giving her all of this aggression all the time. I don't know. What do you guys think? I just think that she's got, I mean, as I said, I think she's got a lot on her plate and she's always played that role of having to take the ultimate responsibility for a situation and being so, having to have a really tough stance on things, even in the first film where she's like standing up to Tarkin and Vader and she's that kind of character where she has to be strong um, for everybody else. So that's her priority. So she knows that it will weaken her to a certain degree if she starts being all touchy-feely with Han Solo. Mm, And she doesn't want to allow that kind of softness to creep in because she's fully aware that it could take her eye off the ball at the most critical point. And it's a critical point in The Empire Strikes Back in terms of the Alliance because they're on the run. So Mm. it's all hands on decks, but... um, But at the kind of at the moment when they are beaten, she doesn't have any have any choice. She has to surrender her control to Han, who steps in and says, "I'll get you out in the Falcon." And then she enters his sort of domain, which is the Falcon, and she just has to sort of go, "I'm going to have to trust you here." The thing is, as well, is that ultimately she's really the the one with the power in that the power of position, the power of responsibility. She's maybe not the leader of the alliance but she's definitely this one of the senior figures and and the fact is is that han is in some some respects very much her subordinate um Mm, you know she's a senior rank i mean she becomes a general later on when i guess she relinquishes her princess ship or whatever but um you know so essentially she's kind of his boss 
so they've got that kind of thing going on. But one thing I, I didn't mention with the, when we were talking about the chemistry directly between them was the fact that off screen they were very much having an affair. So yeah. that really feeds into this. Where I mean, there were some quotes in one of her one of her autobiographies, Carrie Fisher, where I think she basically implied that both Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill were interested in her. And she said, uh, very much paraphrasing, but Mark Hamill would have been the kind of safe choice. And Harrison Ford, she knew, would be dangerous. And she knew would be trouble. Yeah, well, he was married. Yeah, and she went, she went down that path anyway. So, yeah, so, I mean, that very much translates onto screen because that friction and, and everything between them. And I think because, like you say, when people have gone back to reevaluate this... Uh, well not this but other films Uh, and when they go back and look at this there's nothing inappropriate in there there's no there's no violence there's no language that could be termed as inappropriate um it just about keeps on the side of you know whether it's workplace relationships or whether it's kind of (laughs) that kind of stuff there's nothing really untoward there that you could come back and look at 40 odd years later and think, oh God, that's terrible. Like, you know, times have changed. But really, I mean, this was set a long, long time ago and things have changed a lot in the in the galaxies far, far away. That's a real testament to how good the writing is that it, it's not cringy and it is still believable and still, it still sounds really sharp and it's, it's it holds up in 2023. Yeah, I think if you're going to do that kind of friction between your two leads and for it to come off not as one person being pushy while the other person resists and the person pushing anyway, it has to be really sharp and witty, doesn't it, in order for that to fly? Otherwise, it just seems like someone saying, come on, love, you know you want to, and the other person <laughs> saying, no, I don't, and, you know, that's never going to that's <laughs> never gonna feel hot. <laughs> not in space. There's a comparison like, between um, the scene, there's the scene on the Falcon where they're, well, they're essentially inside the, the belly of a big slug um, having a, 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 a sort of a romantic moment. But um, <laughs> when you compare like this, that's the scene with Harrison with Leia in, in that moment when they sort of kiss um, to say Blade Runner and the scene with Deckard and Rachel as she's in his apartment and he stops her from leaving and he puts yeah. the door and then he kind of sort of forces his sand he sort of forces himself on her physically a little bit and, for, and asks her to say things but I think that's a little bit dated in mm. comparison to the way that it's done in Empire Strikes Back yeah um, obviously they're made for different audiences that's an adult audience for Blade Runner and, and Lucas has always said that he's tried to gear it towards kids but I just think it was very sensitively done and very subtly done in Empire Strikes Back with her, with Han trying to help her, but then using the moment to sort of hold her hand and then getting closer and the, the cameras sort of just zooming in. It's just beautifully done um, and it doesn't date and it's romantic. And I think a lot of, I think I've spoke to my wife about this. I said, look, give me your insight on the Empire Strikes Back a little bit. And she just says, she thinks it's a, a, there's an old fashioned romanticism there that women still like but are maybe not allowed to talk about and, and enjoy Ooh, as much as maybe yeah. what they used to be able to, um, where they want their men to be masterful and take the lead a little bit. Is that wrong to say that? Um, I, I completely agree with that, I have to say. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I think that this, uh, the, I mean, I remember seeing this as a little girl and the moment where, you know, the I love you, I know moment and him, and he, him disappearing, I can remember feeling quite devastated because I kind of knew that that meant that we couldn't see any more of the two of them you know with their interplay for the rest of the movie and I remember that that was where my preoccupation was I remember thinking oh you know I really wanted to see more of that and um I'd say for a a lot of you know people that might have um, just just seeing the interplay between the two of them in this film will would have been an awakening of some kind I reckon I wonder how many kind of people growing up have taken this movie as their kind of their way of seeing what an older couple relationship should be like and i dread to think how many boys and men have reacted to being told i love you with i know loads of people (laughs) oh i dread to think i've done it have you not done it rich no just i do it all the time (laughs) 
(laughs) (laughs) So originally that was written as, I love you, I couldn't tell you before, but it's true. And he says, uh, just remember that, because I'll be back. And uh, apparently Harrison Ford thought that it should be changed to, I know. Just, I love you, I know, he thought that it should be simplified. Yeah, I think that was one of the kind of, whether it's an urban myth or, or whatever, where the dialogue proposed didn't sound right. And I think they got to the point where it was, whether it's as apocryphal as the bit in Raiders of the Lost Ark with the, the guy with the sword and he just pulls the gun out and shoots him. And whether Harrison Ford has just you know, been, been labelled this and just turned around and went, I know. And oh, well, actually, that sounds really good. We'll keep that in. <laughs> Um, do you think that's true then or do you or is um, there is that yeah. I, I think I think it's generally held to be true that it was the best of what they I think it was a lot better than what had been previously provided um, whether it was his ad lib or, or not I don't know but I think it's generally accepted that whatever was in the script and whatever was proposed wasn't working when it came out of his mouth in that scenario you know it's that timeless thing it's like well He's economical with his words. Um, And what what was it kids would call it today? Like a baller move. He's he's not saying, I love you too, or anything like that. It's like, I know. Yeah, well, it's playing into his character, isn't it? The arrogance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's it's sort of a gag at a moment of real emotional tension, which is a really really memorable thing about this movie, I think. I think most uh, films of this sort wouldn't quite have the guts to kind of underplay that a moment like that with humor I've, I've read that lucas has said that he, he thought that han saying i know wasn't in his character but i'm i disagree with george lucas on this i think it actually is absolutely in his character definitely it's, it's the bravado just to say yeah this is what i've been saying to you all along love you know what i mean i've been trying to say yeah. <laughs> the last two the last hour and 45 minutes and now finally you get it you fight like an hour an hour and 45 minutes ago you weren't interested you were kissing your brother and now you turn and I said I love I love you it's like oh, God. telling too me soon. I look like too an soon. intergalactic space farmer or whatever you're calling me <laughs> and then of course in the next film she does it back to him so yeah it's beautiful nice this knowing is nod but this is the this is the good thing about it how she's the damsel, damsel in distress in this one and Han gets to be the damsel in distress in the next one yeah. and it twists it around which is which is great I love you you are right though there is there is a danger with this one that if if a whole load of boys were taking it as this is how you should do courtship you could imagine it really backfiring because um, so much of this hangs on uh, the casting of Harrison Ford doesn't it because he is so effortlessly charismatic but also in a way that I think was true of him in real life at the time judging from those extracts that I've seen of Carrie Fisher's memoirs that you know he was incredibly self-contained and she was saying that he was very grumpy he was witty but not funny he's like, you know witty specifically and and kind of had this thing where you really if you fancied him you you really had to kind of um you know sort of wait for the moment to, to see whether he was he was going to give you any attention because it was very touch and go and so all of that I think really really lends itself to his performance here you can sort of see that he's someone that never tries too hard which is great well it's Han Solo he shouldn't have to you know <laughs> <laughs> but no again when when you kind of lay it in the context of of that time and and when you hear later round of what was going on off screen and, and you see that here um and of course you know without jumping ahead too much you know, we we by in the gap between the next film and the one after that, they've gone. They've had a kid who turns out to be almost, you know, diet Darth Vader, and then. But I don't think they ever got married. Um, well, but they they were in a relationship, but they didn't get married. They did um, get married, Rich. Actually, oh, they did. Oh, right. okay. Uh, there was a there was a novel last year actually called The Princess and the Scoundrel, and it was it was a canon novel as well, which means that it actually happened in the world of Star Wars and it features the wedding of Han Solo and, and Leia and they go on a honeymoon aboard the, the, the Halcyon Star Cruiser, which if you're not aware is the, the Disney Hotel Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser at the Disney World Resort, which you can go on 
Right. Is that the one that's about oh, four wow. grand a night? Yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so they built this hotel and then they've incorporated it into a piece of literature, um, which is now canon in Star Wars. It's sort of thing Jane Austen would do, really, isn't it? The Princess and the Scoundrel. I think the cover is very much, it's, it's got that kind of Mills and Boone style cover <laughs> to it. <laughs> His um, eyes burned into hers like cubic zirconias. She melted like butter in his hands. <laughs> like that. I'm going to have to read it just because it's canon. You know what I mean? And I'm a real geek and I need to just read a bit more. I could probably just read the back cover. I'll probably do. <laughs> we can sit here and look at this and it's Star Wars, but we're talking about a romantic, mostly relationship between two of the lead characters. When, when they tried to do romance in the prequel films, they came across as incredibly wooden and badly written and probably badly acted too. But here you have the right people writing for the right actors and it works so well with everything else, be it the music, be it the sets, be it the production design. Um, and I think the fact is that the two of them work so well and, and even, you know, I guess Carrie Fisher will always be Princess Leia. Whereas I guess Harrison Ford is fortunate enough that he's also Indiana Jones and also Blade Runner um, and also all these other things. But I think that the two of them are still this kind of Excuse this timeless me. couple. Carrie Fisher is Marie in When I Met Sally. Sorry, we're, we're men of a certain age. She'll always be, <laughs> <laughs> she'll always be Princess Leia. She's fantastic in that film as well. She is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're right. You're right. I know you're right. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. Nice time. This film and this relationship between Han and Leia is the big one. And when you do get the little scene of them in, I think it's in, is it The Force Awakens? I think they have a yeah. little kind of meeting and a, and a hug and a little bit of a chat around where, where they went wrong as parents. I mean, I think The Force Awakens sort of muddies the waters a little bit with their relationship and in terms of what they've been through as a couple, because it's not clear exactly why they decided to split up and why Han would go back to just being a smuggler again and why he would leave. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I don't know about, about you guys. Yeah, because she went back to being kind of leader of the rebellion and he went back to doing what he was doing. This was sort of after raising the spawn of Satan as a kid. Yeah, but it, it doesn't make any sense. To, I mean, I'm, we're getting into. Mm. Let's not get down, go down this rabbit hole. But, <laughs> yeah. but there's a scene where, where Princess Leia's brother, who is Luke, tries to kill. Um, has a thought about killing Han Solo and Princess Leia's son in his sleep, and you think, "I'm not having that. I'm not having it." I'm sorry. I'm really kind of going to annoy a lot of people with this because there'll be some people going, "The Last Jedi is one of the best Star Wars films ever." I'm like, "I'm sorry." But I don't get it. Um, it doesn't work with the, the characters. Don't make sense, and I don't think believe that would happen. But that's supposed to have happened before you see them in the Force Awakens, isn't it? Obviously. Yeah, yeah. So Han would know that Luke. Does he know that Luke tried to kill his son? And did Princess Leia? Did Leia know that Luke tried to kill her son? If so, why is she so keen on trying to find him and getting back to help with the? resistance that'd make christmas dinner awkward wouldn't it i don't know <laughs> it just it would wouldn't it you're sitting there and you're like, just that one thing i want to ask you luke did you <laughs> well i've been meaning to say to you it might have been my fault uh, <laughs> it might have, i'm not sure i'm not 100 percent sure there was that one night <laughs> where i crept into his room and tried to destroy him with my lightsaber that might have been the uh, the turning point. Revisiting this one, something struck me, which was that, and I, d I don't know was if this was the first movie to ever do this, but the robots in The Empire Strikes Back and, and obviously the, the, the previous film as well, uh, C-3PO and R2-D2 are kind of the humans, mm. if you know what I mean. Like Everyone else is sort of playing kind of the, the version of yourself that you wish you were if you were put in a situation of jeopardy but 
you know, sort of the way C-3PO sort of runs around kind of flapping and, um, you know, interjecting at awkward moments and sort of, um, and, you know, R2-D2 being a bit anxious and the other sort of thing. They're kind of, they're kind of more like humans than the humans are. Yeah, I think, I think there's something to be said for that. Yeah, they're kind of like your kind of uh, your inner worries and your inner thoughts and yeah. kind of sort of personified in a way. R2's there with his little scanner trying to see if Luke's going to come in back and C-3PO is just... He's hoping everything's going to be okay, and he's sort of he's saying that out loud. Uh, yeah, there's a bit, exactly. a bit of bit of neurotic behaviour there, just that that kind of worry. And and there, while there is a little bit of exposition there, I think the the relationship between the two over the whichever number of films that they're in together, there is that. Yeah. Th- there's plenty of bickering. There is that kind of joy at being reunited because they're separate for most of this film, and yet when they're together, they are back to normal. They're bickering and. You know, just just filling in those little gaps. So needy C-3PO though, isn't he? Um, oh, at the end, yeah. when they've after they've been reunited and they're on the Falcon, and uh, C-3PO's in bits and he's still got his leg kind of off, and he's saying, "Where are you going, R2? You haven't finished with me. I want you to finish off my leg. It's not fixed on properly." And R2's like, "Look, mate, I'm trying to save the Rebel Alliance here, right? I've got the leaders of the Rebel Alliance here. They're all here. I mean, take them off, Luke, Lando." I thought that hairy beast would be the end of me. Of course I'd look better. Yeah, I, I saw Thor, Love and Thunder, and there's a scene in that that's very similar to, to that whole thing of C-3PO coming apart. And, and yeah, it, I, it's very it's very influential, this film. Yeah, the whole, um, sometimes I just don't understand human behaviour. <laughs> just trying to do my job. Um, yeah. One thing that I kind of find amusing is how the dynamic between Han and Leia changes when um, when they first meet Lando when they land, land in um, in Bespin because that's when they start becoming very coupley when mm. all of a sudden the sort of human sex machine Billy D. Williams turns up <laughs> and is like hello what have we here and that's when it's kind of like okay she's mine this is where like, we're yeah. starting to regress to like, okay, you are now third wheel. The aggression goes, but then it becomes a comfortable familiarity, but it's not done in a, oh, they're like a married couple. It's, it's nicely kind of the, the, the switch is done in such a way that they don't veer from one extreme to the other too quickly. Yeah. Uh, it's a nice moment though when Han steps in though. It's just the way he sort of like... T- Gives he takes it, he kind of puts his arm out to so that he can escort her off the off the runway. It's very old fashioned romantic behavior, isn't it? Really, yeah, yeah. But, but he's been assertive, he's just like saying, Look, look, Lando, I know we've just met each other after a while after not seeing each other, but this one's mine, <laughs> mine, back off, you charming mo foe. <laughs> He didn't say that in the film, but uh, that was a deleted scene. Right? He That's said it with scene. his eyes. Yeah, he said yeah. it with his eyes. He was just like, "Yeah, who's who's the, who's the best here? It's me." Billy D. Williams is smouldering, isn't he? Mm. In, oh yeah, completely. Back. Oh, those capes, capes. Yeah. Well, as we find out in the solo film, which admittedly I've only seen once, um, he when he had the Millennium Falcon, it basically had a cape room installed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. for all his different cloaks and so on so um you know he, he this is clearly a man who's grown up with his sense of style i don't know if han solo when he's frozen has the ability to kind of think because he's in hibernation i mean does he dream and are you sitting there thinking oh god what's lando gonna do to her now i'm not there well lando's he, he actually at the end i don't know if you spotted this um but he, lando uh, obviously Han has uh, a few spare sets of clothes in his mm, Falcon yeah. and um, he's obviously one of those guys where he just buys six of the same shirt six of the same jacket and six of the same <laughs> and he has them all just in, in the cupboard or whatever Chewie obviously does all the, all the, the hard work because he's like the helper isn't he but, um, mm. but at the end of the film Lando's there he's flying off to to, get, to go to Tatooine with Chewie and he's dressed in Han's clothes he is yeah Han's clothes wow Jumps into his grave. He's, he's he obviously because he must have got a bit sweaty in his own clothes a bit before that, or he didn't get a chance to get them washed. His own clothes. He, did, he didn't so have time to pack. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he left Cloud City in a hurry. <laughs> <laughs> 
But then he was on the Rebel, he was on the Rebel Alliance sort of um, medical frigate. I think someone could have given him some clothes, but no, no, I'm going to wear Han's clothes. He's effectively become an action figure in his own film. The, the kind of reenactment of some of these scenes in, in the playground as well. <laughs> um, especially the one in Return of the Jedi when he's unfrozen from the carbonite and he comes out. It was always like, you need to put some gloves on because you're going to fall, fall sort of <laughs> face down onto the concrete <laughs> playground. And you're like, there you go, done it. Um, but, but I mean, even when the, he's actually then frozen, I mean, Leia's facial expressions really give away her kind of concern. Um, and, and while I think a lot of it is, you know, she, she's now become aware of the fact that this is all a ruse to get Luke Skywalker with Darth Vader for the Emperor but she's so she's also so she's losing kind of the the war from that point of view but she's also then realizing that okay the guy that I love and knows I love is now basically a block of cement and Mm. will he ever recover and I think that there's the scene once he's eventually got onto Boba Fett's ship and the, the ship takes off, that then her face is kind of like, oh my God, now he's gone. He's gone from being an inanimate object and he's now gone to Jabba the Hutt's palace. So it's like he's gone from, you know, these various stages of, I mean, it's, it's a really good way of kind of, what's the term, ghosting someone? He's like, no, 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 I couldn't call you. I, I was frozen into a breeze block. And uh, no, 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 I was kidnapped by a bounty hunter and sellotaped to the wall of a big slug. You know, sorry. But, um, but yeah, no, they, I mean, she, she really kind of gave that in that expression and that kind of angst in how she performed, how she portrayed that, because it went from that kind of joshing and that, that needling to, oh, my God, this guy is now probably dead and i'll never see him again probably well yeah again i mean Han, like in the first film well at the very end he sort of puts himself on the line to to help the the rebels win the day and he, he he's kind of proves that again in empire that with his very clever escape after um evading the the empire in the the meteor what do you call it the asteroid field the asteroid field sorry mm. yeah so after after escaping the the empire in the asteroid field and then getting pursued again, and then escaping, he just he shows his chops as a as a as a pilot and as a as a someone that can think on his feet, um, and is very capable. He's putting himself out there, but showing his best qualities, and Leia can see this. Return of the Jedi. It's one of my favorite Star Wars films. Um, but his character isn't as well served in that film as it is in Empire. It's got, he's got a lot more meat to sort of chew on in the script in Empire because it's centered around that relationship, isn't it, between him and, and Leia. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, saying that, though, one of my favorite moments between the couple occurs at the start in the first sort of 20 minutes of Return of the Jedi. Oh, and, sorry, about an hour into it. When, oh, yeah. um Sorry, it's... um Obviously, when Leia saves Han from Jabba and all and whatnot, but later and much later in the film, when they're in the the Ewok village, there's a moment where Princess Leia has been laid on the, the terrible truth about her parentage, about the fact that Darth Vader's her dad, Luke's her brother, and she's sort of dealing with all this stuff. And like in Empire Strikes Back, she's got the world, the sort of the weight of the world on her shoulders because she's trying to sort of lead a rebellion you know what I mean so she's got all that to deal with and all this family stuff on her yeah and she's crying and she's really upset about this what she's going to do and how she's going to deal with it and Han basically says so what's going on then and she's like well I can't tell you and he's like well you can tell Luke though but you can't tell me and she's like I just can't just t-. and he's like oh well bugger it starts to walk <laughs> away but just when he, he, he realizes he's being a bit of a douche he turns around and John Williams just scores it perfectly and he does this little pivot and he turns around and goes back and he just says I'm sorry and she just says hold me and he just gives her a hug and that's it the end of the scene and it's fantastic it's just like Mm. Han Solo in that moment is just like he realises he's being kind of a bit obtuse and just being a bit 
rough rough sort of treating it in a bit of a rough handled sort of way and uh, you just see the soft side of his character which is kind of what he wants to be he kind of wants to be that in Empire Strikes Back he wants to be there for Leia but she doesn't want to soften up yeah I mean yeah um, yeah but it's you get that at the very end of the film obviously but it's too late by then you raised earlier Rich the fact that she's his boss I mean do you think that that is feeding into his um, kind of um, his attraction to her that this idea that kind of you know well or at least it adds it adds a bit of a challenge to this to this dynamic I guess the fact that, and it is laid on really heavily, especially in the first film, but the, that she's the princess. And I guess, you know, obligatory Friends reference here is like, she's the princess and I'm the stable boy. You know, that kind of stuff where um, I think there is that kind of, she's the one to be saved and I'm going to be the, the knight, the shining knight in sort of chinos and whatever denim armour. I think there is an element of that more more so than her being the kind of leader of the rebellion. I think it's more that she's the princess um, and, you know, I can be the, the hero. And it is kind of about being the hero. In in this, I mean, she she is the leader, and, and but I think that's less of an issue here. It comes up a little bit in some of the other films, but I think it's very much, you know, because even at the end when, when he's about to be put in the carbon freeze, he says to Chewie, you've got to take care of the princess. You know, he still refers to her as the princess. And yeah. I mean, you know, it's an affectionate term. We know that. But it's, um, <laughs> but still, you know, it's, um, you know, she's the princess and he's the kind of the, the sheriff, whatever, who has to look after her. And I guess that's kind of what he's thinking. There is still that, that air of chivalry dressed in Han Solo's clothes underneath all that and I think that's kind of where it comes from I don't think it's I mean it's less workplace romance than just you know fairy tale stuff yeah Kat what do you think about that moment there's a bit in the um, where the ship the Fal- they're on the Falcon and it's kind of rocking about a little bit and uh, and, and Leia kind of falls backwards into Han's arms um, <laughs> he sort of like grabs her sort of holds her and she's like saying let go yeah and then she says let go please and he's like don't get excited Excited. So, what do you think? What do you think about that moment? Do you think that's? I mean, I don't think it's. Um, I don't think it's in any way inappropriate for today's audiences. But how do you feel seeing that scene now? Uh, yeah, that's. Um, it follows up, isn't it? Um, being held by you isn't enough to get me excited. And he says, "Sorry, sorry, <laughs> sweetheart. I haven't got time for anything else." Let go. Shh. Let go, please. Don't get excited. Captain, being held by you isn't quite enough to get me excited. Sorry, sweetheart. I haven't got time for anything else. They convey the chemistry in a way that's so convincing. Although you do, you do think, you do think, God, he's he's really pushing his luck, and and you're <laughs> struck by some of the moments. Uh, between the two of them because you know when you have her addressing the crew telling them what to do she's so kind of collected and cool and you know she doesn't look in any way rattled um yep. whereas with those scenes she does look quite uh, you know she's she's been quite rude to him but she looks pretty flustered you know and um and that yeah. that feeling of kind of thinking oh he is kind of getting under her skin i suppose in that way you kind of need him to be a bit rude don't you so that you you kind of can see what's going on beneath the surface of her her concentration because he does say to her, you're trembling yeah, yeah i mean if she didn't fancy him or that would be really awkward and is she just being nice to him to be polite because it's the safest thing to do but uh, it's a good job they fancy each other <laughs> yeah but yeah, she is very rattled in that moment, isn't she? Because Han sort of smiles and sort of walks out the door and you just see her on her own in the, fo- in the cockpit and she just looks very annoyed. She's, <laughs> yeah, like, she's like shaking her head and she's like, how dare he? I'm trying to run a rebel alliance here. <laughs> yeah, well, he's, he's, not tre- he's not treating her very respectfully, it's true. But that can be, uh, you know, both, you can both think, oh, what an arsehole. And also, ooh, the dynamic here is kind of hot. You can simultaneously yeah. think the two things. <laughs> <laughs> the thing, this is the thing. It's like, um, I think it still comes across like old-fashioned romanticism. Yeah. I just, yeah. I'm allowing it to do that. But people are so touchy about these things now. Um, and rightfully so in many cases yeah. um, certain types of romantic scenes are 
written with the audience in mind rather than just writing them in the way that maybe they should be written. Don't know if that's the right thing to say or not. Oh well, uh, I, I can I completely agree. You need a you need a bit of friction to light a match, don't you? For sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's the trailer. <laughs> I mean, we uh. we talk about this sometimes, don't we, Rich, on, on this podcast, how how romantic comedies occasionally play it too safe in that regard. And, and sometimes, I think we talked about this when we did Casino Royale, in fact, we was, um, there's something about the that scene on the train between the two of them, the fact that there is a certain amount of hostility as well as there being flirtation sort of gets you tapped into a kind of sexual dynamic between two people that sometimes um, the less interesting romantic comedies really steer clear of. They really want to keep the audience in a really comfortable place, whereas a more interesting romantic comedy like Moonstruck, for instance, there's more friction. It's more kind of light and shade. You feel less on absolutely sort of safe ground. And that's always more intriguing, isn't it, really? I think um, it's, it's easy to get wrong. It's very easy to get wrong. That's why you need really good writing, like like um, uh, Empire Strikes Back has. So. You do wonder if um, the fact that Lucas took a step back in terms of being the director on Empire allowed the film to develop and the characterizations a bit more fully, because sometimes it's a little bit corny in the first film, but although there is some amazing dialogue in it. But it's probably good that he wasn't directing, and it was Irvin Kershner that was doing it this time. Yeah, well, there's your Bond link, because he did Never Say Never Again, although that's a separate argument. There you go, yeah. But, I mean, the relationship between Han and Leia is very much the core of the film, and that's what a lot of the story is built around, and I think that's what makes it as as good as it is. Absolutely. I think, I think you're right. It is, I mean, it is thought of as one of the best Star Wars films in the whole series, but I just, I mean, I just think as much as it's about uh, uh, there's a vi- the visual aspect of Star Wars is is right there in front of you. It looks incredible, still looks incredible all these years later. I think the design, the pace of it, and everything, the music. But the thing that really brings me back to it, time and time and time again, is watching the interplay between the characters and how mm. humorous it is, how funny it is, and how touching it is, and how relatable a lot of these characters are whether they're droids whether they're wikis or whatever you know there's a number of relationships in empire strikes back between like luke and han luke and luke and leia not much but luke and uh, minch yoda minch yoda mention that i'm just gonna throw that in there luke and ben han and chewie r2d2 c3po there's there's so many different things going on there obviously the luke and darth one like you said rich is is critical but it's basically two characters that are... The whole film is built around Darth Vader trying to find Luke Skywalker because he knows he's his son. Which yeah. you don't know. They've, they never explain that in the film series, although there are comic books written that are canon that explain how he became to know who Luke was. But yeah, but it's about these two characters, the, the Skywalkers that are on a, mission, on a, on a collision course to, to meet each other. And everybody else is kind of in terms of the grand picture of, of the series is kind of a side character. Although I don't think that Han and Leia are side. I think they are obviously the, the main characters in the film alongside Luke, but it's just the, it's the relationships that are so touching and so real and you believe them. And because they're so well acted and so well written, it, it kind of gives it a heart that a lot of films of, its, of the, the era don't have. If we think of this as being one of the best and most famous examples of great sexual chemistry on screen, is there something about a situation where people can't kind of consummate that, you know, that they're too, there's too much on for you to have a kind of, you know, be able to sort of go and um, spend some nice time together? And, <laughs> you know, is, is there something about a highly pressurised situation that actually lends itself to good sexual chemistry, do you think, sometimes? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, yeah. Friends, for example, they just went seasons and seasons with Roch and, uh, Ross and Rachel, didn't they? Will they, yeah. will they? Will they? Won't they? And it's quite nice for it to be about the chase. I mean, that's that's the exciting part of a, a kind of a relationship in some respects, isn't it? And yeah. that kind of, that early and dynamic, and before you kind of fall into a, a kind of full full blown relationship where you're looking out for each other they kind of do that in the next film a little bit more but 
Um, but yeah, that's certainly the ma- one of the major appeals of Empire. Yeah, I mean, we, we've all been quite nervous about talking about this one tonight, haven't we? I mean, it's it's a film that people have so many opinions on and um, it's quite extraordinary to revisit it in that way, to think, oh, every, I, I suppose at this point they'd already made the first one so everyone involved kind of knew that they were making something that people were going to talk about, that, but they probably didn't realise they were going to talk about it for this long. Absolutely. It's kind of funny to think also that it, would have been a risk for them to make a sequel to one of the most successful films of all time to think that they could top it. But their, the fact that their ambitions were to actually kind of um, go beyond what they'd done with the first one and better it was a bold move, I think. Um, and the fact that George Lucas financed the film out of his own pocket was just such a ballsy move, you know? Yeah. Paid off so handsomely, I think. Incredible. Kept him in plaid shirts for the rest of his days. Absolutely, there were people dressed up as him at that convention. There were, yeah, yeah, weird. <laughs> we would be honoured if you would join us. Um, so Marty, it's been so great to have you on tonight. Um, where can people find you? Well, they can get in touch directly on Twitter and Instagram, Thunderballs007. Um, we run a website called thunderballs.org which is a james bond themed website where it's a big picture archive so if that's your thing then uh check it out and uh now and again we'll i'll post stuff on on the thunderballs james bond sort of socials about star wars just to noise people up just to see how much (laughs) they react badly to it but yeah you can get in touch that way as well Well, as we finish Yoda stew and get ready to be frozen in carbonite, we leave you with a reminder that once you start down the dark path, forever will it dominate your destiny. In other words, think carefully before starting a podcast. I've been Kat. Rich, I have been. I've been Marty. And this has been Don't You Want Me. <laughs> <laughs>